The Owner's Box is part of the In The Money Podcast Network. You can always log on to inthemoneypodcast.com where you can follow along. You can subscribe to the free newsletter. And not only do you have the Owner's Box, but also shows such as the Players Podcast, JK Plus One, The Matt Vernier Show, Redboard Rewind, Nick Luck Daily, Talk Racing to Me, In the Ring with Acacia Courtney, and Off Track with Maggie. So lots of great things to listen to. Just head over to inthemoneypodcast.com. Want to thank uh, sponsors LTN Global, which offers innovative TV production services that help racetracks raise their profile, bringing all the TV tricks they've learned from other sports to our wonderful sport of horse racing. LTN is a technology and production company that is helping racetracks create and distribute content at a high quality and a good value. And LTN offers distribution services to get tracks seen in more online and offline spaces than ever before. You can visit ltnglobal.com to learn more. God, you're good at that. I can read. Welcome to the Owner's Box. Now, here's Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Owner's Box. I'm Billy Koch. I'm the founder and managing partner of the Little Red Feather Racing Club. Joining me... Finally, back <laughs> is the great Michelle. You, Michelle, welcome back. Do you want to? I, I don't think we should delve into why we didn't have a show last week. Let's just say you, you were under the weather. <laughs> you don't want to dive into that, really? No, I don't Holy think we. Cannoli. I don't think okay. we want to dive into that. But let's just I was say under the weather. Yeah, Michelle was under the weather, and we just took a week. Felt off. like I was buried in a whole lot of shit. That's for sure. Oh, well, you said it. I didn't. Um, well, here's a couple things. First of all, I want to thank all the people out there that sent emails and tweets at us saying, where's the show? <laughs> we, I really appreciate it. And I know Michelle does, too. Um, they were like, hey, Definitely. no show this week. And I'm like, yeah, Michelle's not feeling good. So yeah. uh, we, 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 we skipped last week, but we're back and we have a great show. We have uh, Greg Harbert. Uh, how do I say his last name? I think it's Harbert. Harbert. Okay, mm -hmm. Harbutt. H-A-R-B-U-T. Yeah, we're going to say Harbutt. And, and if we butchered it, then he can tell us when he's on. Yeah, and uh, he's a cool bloodstock agent with a great story. Um, Pete Fornatel actually said we should have him on the show, and that's what we do. We just follow Pete's lead because we that's are part right. of the In The Money Media Podcast Network. I don't even know if that's right. <laughs> I think it's not right. Good job. Yeah, thank you. No, that's right. All right, In so let's get media. right to it. Let's get to three things okay. of note because we, we are we going to go backwards in time? What are we doing? No, no, no. We're going to go. We're going I forwards mean, maybe in time. We're just blowing off the Belmont. Back, mostly just, yeah, we're just blowing off the Belmont. Wait, did we not have a post-Belmont show? No. Holy crap. Okay, well, 1A thing of note then is the Belmont stakes. Uh, okay, but no overall one wants reaction. Everybody knows. Overall reaction, great race by uh, uh, Central Quality, who I think is the best three-year-old. Uh, in the land right now, and uh, but beautiful effort from Hot Rod Charlie. I was uh, Bill Strauss was nice enough to let me tag along for the weekend uh, with his family, who is a, a great family. Um, Jeffrey and and uh, obviously uh, Bill's wife Margie and their friends from Syracuse. Uh, I, I, it was awesome. I felt like one of the family. I hopped right on the Hot Rod Charlie bandwagon. He ran an awesome race and was second best. Okay. Um, also going on right now is Royal Ascot. Yes. That's kind of exciting. If you wake up early, there's some really good races to watch, uh, for the rest of the week. So, well, I did you I see who won today? So. I didn't. I love, I, my... love, love. She was the star. Love. Oh, was she? Yeah. She dominated. It was pretty awesome. She went wire to wire. Oh, and that's she awesome. fended off last year's Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare winner, 
Um, the name escapes me right now. I could look it up. Really yeah, fast, I can't remember but, her name either. But um, uh, it was a really, really good race, and love, uh, love held on and and ran awesome. And she's a, gosh, she's so beautiful that filly with a big white face. Anyway, cool. Okay. Um, so I highly recommend watching that if you're um into that kind of thing. But it's great racing to get to watch. Yeah, there was a thirty um, horse field today. This is pretty cool. That's nuts. And guess that who won? That makes it so hard. You know who won? Chip- uh, you know who won a race today? Uh, Chipotle. Who? Chipotle. A horse named Chipotle. Really? Yeah, and I think I'm going to go there My for lunch. My favorite lunch. Yeah. Ooh, hello. I love Chipotle. Me too. Um, okay, so second thing of note is Mandaloon. Mandaloon. the Pegasus. Yeah, and do you think it's Which, weird okay, that there so are two Pegasuses? So Pegasuses? Yeah. Do you say Pegasi? Yes, what do you say? Pegasi? Pegasi? I don't know. Pegasus? Why are there two Pegasus like states? Plural itself. I mean, it's so stupid. I don't know. Name it something else. Well, the so I saw somewhere like like the quote from Florent about like the horse because they have no whips in in New Jersey. So right. that I read I read somewhere about the quote from Florent about like how the horse kind of needed a reminder and he was like you know or not erratic but just lazy when he hit the front. Sure. And then I saw someone else had like tweeted that he like got beat that he was wandering. So I had told Ryan, I'm like, yeah, he got beat. And Ryan's like, no, he didn't. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, there, I should know better than to trust what I read on Twitter without yeah, watching please, the ring. Please. Idiot. 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 So my, Idiot. that's like your PSA for don't trust Twitter. Don't trust Twitter. What about, um, do you trust uh, my, my thing? What's my thing that I like? TikTok. TikTok. I love TikTok. So good. Uh, okay. I'm going to send you my favorite thing, video. Oh, so, later. what did you think about Mandaloon? Good? No good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the third thing of note is summer is coming. It is? And both of our major racetracks, Saratoga and Del Mar, are opening up full capacity. Okay, but with an asterisk, right? At Del Mar, I believe you still full need to have a seat. Full capacity for seat. Yeah, you have yes. to have a seat. So I think Del Mar is mm-hmm. 15,000. I don't know what the total is at um, Saratoga, but I think in at least at Del Mar, I'm sure you need a seat. And really, I mean, it's going to come into play only on the big days, right? Opening day, Pacific Classic day, maybe some of the Saturdays with some good stakes action. Because the other mm-hmm. days, I mean, 15,000 is a pretty big crowd. So um, yeah. I think people will be okay, those of you who are panicking that you need seats. Um, and I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that if you have a CHRB license, you will be able to get onto the grounds. Um, mm-hmm. And you can hang by the paddock and stuff like that. You just maybe don't have to have a seat for a CHRB. Well, and you don't have to stay in your seat. Like at Santa Anita, we sell the seats. You don't have to sit in your seat. Right. It's just to limit the number of people on hand so it doesn't look like Disneyland. And Correct. just kind of a side note to that is that Breeders' Cup is being held at Del Mar this year. They are going to use 100% of seated capacity as well. Okay. Well, that's very good. Those so there's going to be no general admission tickets for Breeders' Cup and no on-site sold tickets. So you have to buy... A seat, uh, a pre-arranged seat, yeah. Yeah, Premium and I'm sure, but they will, or a reserve seat. But they will probably have bring in some additional seating, I would imagine, to be more than fifteen thousand. Mm. No, I don't know that. I'm reading the article, know. and it says that. Now let's talk about your be... hat that you wore on Sunday. Did you? Okay, is that a fourth? Thing I thought note? it was really cool. I think it was a good look for you. Are you thinking of Thank making you. that, putting that into your ensemble? I, so. Zoe needed a new hat one day. So her and I went out shopping for a hat and I was just playing around. I tried one on two on and I just, I look okay in ball caps, but I didn't like any of these hats. And I put that hat on 
And I was like, I kind of like this hat. Yeah. Is that weird? No, and not weird so at all. And so we liked it. And then I've, I've attempted to wear it like three or four times. And I've put it on. I've just felt silly with my hair down. And so that day I was working at the gate. I had to have a hat because it's been super hot. So I put it on and pulled my hair back. And I'm like, this kind of works. Yeah, so I thought I it like worked it. great. I, I think you did. You, you. I'm sure you got a lot of compliments. I did. I did get a lot of compliments, actually. So yeah. thank you. Well, there you go. Um, all all right. right. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll get on. Uh, Greg Harbutt will join us here on the Owner's Box on the In The Money Media. In The Money Media network be right back i'm here with travis white from tailor-made stallions and travis what an exciting time for tailor-made sales oh things are going really good right now billy uh midnight storm wrapped up a great sale down at obs uh not this time just continues to uh produce runners uh week after week uh and in the sales he still continues to do very well and m shot was represented by his first starter in the kentucky derby this year Travis, we still have time to get your mares booked. Who do they call? You can call me anytime. My cell phone number is 859-396-3508, or feel free to email me at tywhite at tailormadestallions.com. Exciting times ahead for all the tailor-made stallions. And we're back on the owner's box, and we have a very special guest today, Michelle. His name is Greg Harbit. We confirmed that now. Uh, Greg is a, a longtime horseman born and raised in Lexington, Kentucky, and we're going to find out all about He's got an amazing story, right, Greg? We're going to find out. I know you probably told this story, but uh, thank you for coming Tell on the show. Tell it again. Tell it again. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Well, let me, let me just start by saying I saw you recently on the, was it the owner view um, panel? Yeah, yeah, the owner view panel. Uh, I think that was about two or three weeks ago. It was an awesome panel. I enjoyed uh, being on there with the uh, federal panelists and just, you know, talking about the industry and the sport that we all love so dearly. Now, you know, let me ask you a question because I want you to be honest here before we get into your story. I Listen, as someone who's in the business and been in the business for a long time myself, I tried to watch that. And it was just – I found it very long. And all you guys were really good, like on a site. She was amazing. You were amazing. But, like – when other people are talking and you're sitting there on Skype, are you thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, this is this is going on a little long? Or were you, like, really into it? Well, you know, with, with, with Skype, things are a lot different than in person, <laughs> as we're normally accustomed to. So, uh, you know, it definitely takes some extra patience to, uh, you know, get to a few things. But, no, it was, it was enjoyable overall, you know, anytime you got the opportunity to – Talk about the industry and potentially get new people in, in, involved. That's always something I'm excited uh, to do and participate in. Well, that's what we're trying to do here with the owners box, and we appreciate you coming on. How and and Pete Fornatel, you know, really spoke highly of you. How did how did do you have a relationship with Pete? How did that happen? Uh, more so with with, uh, with JK, right? Oh, yeah. with yeah, Kinchin. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. I got it. Does he make you wear a mask? No, you know, we <laughs> last time I saw him was at the uh, Breeders' Cup uh, at, at Keno when they hosted. I think we were both masked up. So okay. well, there you go. No more masks here in Los Angeles, <laughs> thank God. All right, Greg. Tell Greg Harbit. Tell us this. Tell, tell us about your growing up because there, there's a great story here that I think our people would love to listen. So go go with the backstory, and and I'm not going to spoil it. So I'm just going to let you preface it and and go on. Okay. Uh, Third generation uh, horseman, horse guy. Uh, my great grandfather was a guy named Will Harbin. He had a big uh, 
association with Man of War. Many consider so Man cool. of War to be one of the best. I just got the chills. Race horses. I know. Of all times. Man of War. And uh, grandfather was a guy named Tom Harbit, who was a very well noted horseman in his own right. Worked with a lot of the uh, great stallions uh, over at Spencer Farm. Actually rode uh, War Admiral, Triple Crown winner. Uh, back in the day, it was a small time breeder that actually had a horse that ran in a 1962 Kentucky Derby. But uh, I've always had a great love for horses ever since I was a young kid, going to summer camps and, and taking riding lessons and things of that nature, uh, but never really thought that uh, I could make a career out of it. I was very fortunate to get accepted onto the uh, Darley Flying Start Program. Now I think it's called the Dolphin mm-hmm. Flying Start Program. But I uh, really opened up my eyes uh, to you know, the business side of things and horsemanship from an international standpoint really put me in position uh, to be able to do this full time. Uh, after the flying start, worked for a guy named Jamie LaMonica. I think that's how you and I met, Philly, uh, back in my days. Yes, the, uh, yes, Australian Jamie LaMonica, of course. <laughs> so, uh, the funny guy. And from there, started uh, Harvard Bloodstock Agency, been a bloodstock agent uh, on my own for about the last 10 years now. So, uh, I, <laughs> It, go ahead, Michelle. No, go ahead. You start. Uh, you know what? I, I want to touch base. I want a couple of important things you said, Greg. One, you went to the Flying Star program, and I'd like to dive into that a little bit. Um, you know, tell because our people who are listening don't really might not understand what that means. Can you describe it? And how, how did you get in? What did you do when you were there? And, and what did you learn when you came out of it? Okay, <laughs> a lot of questions. Well, but nominal. That's program. only three. You could do it. <laughs> the uh, Flying Star program is an a international program sponsored by Sheikh Muhammad. Uh, they accept 12 kids internationally uh, once a year, and it's basically a two-year program where you go through uh, England, Ireland, Australia, Dubai, and North America, and basically learn everything uh, there is to know about the horse business and, and, and horsemanship. But it's a, it's a great program. Uh, a lot of it is hands-on, and then there's also an educational component. Uh, with different universities uh, uh, throughout the world. But uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to just learn about the business globally. It uh, allows you to meet a lot of the key industry personnel and develop relationships. And you pretty much get to see every facet and then, you know, sort of determine what pathway you want to go in as far as the uh, business. But I was on there with a group of amazing uh, individuals. Uh, I think all but two out of my class are still actively involved uh, in racing and turned out to be sort of uh, up-and-coming industry leaders within the uh, business. It was a very competitive program to get on, so I was very fortunate uh, to be accepted and uh, participate in the program. I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you know how many people apply each year? I mean, with only 12, is is it 30? Is it 50? Is it 1,000? No, I, I'd say it's probably somewhere in the, in, in the gamut of, you know, 12 to 1,500 applicants. Every wow. Year, at, at least at that time. Uh, Why do you think you were picked? So, uh, I definitely had some, uh, great references, uh, you know, people who thought highly enough to uh, send a letter of an endorsement, but, uh, you know, at that time had a strong work ethic and I think they could really see that I was very passionate uh, in the interview uh, about wanting to be on the program as well as wanting uh, to stay in the business and, uh, work in it, uh, and show some longevity. Greg, you said you started your bloodstock as soon as you graduated from the Flying Start uh, the part of the Flying Start program, for people who don't know, you do a little bit of everything. So you do some bloodstock, some international, some sales, some breeding, some foaling, some race stuff. 
was that something that you knew from before you got into the program? When I leave here, I want to do bloodstock or did being in the flying start help kind of skew you one way or the other? Well, initially I thought I wanted to be a horse trainer. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, good thing you didn't choose out. that. If I am, if I got you smarter than that. <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, don't I go found down out that, that path. Don't do it. Yeah, I found out that that wasn't really the path for me. But uh, as a bloodstock agent, I could still be connected with racing and still be active in you know going to the big races and, and, and feeling that excitement. But the four thirty four thirty a.m. start times of seven days a week really wasn't for me. Come so, on, uh, I know you're waking up and working to, uh, out at four thirty. Come on. <laughs> So I was able to, what you... uh, what'd you say? Go ahead, Continue, sorry. No, so I was able to do some internships while on the program and, and, and really found my niche with uh, a bloodstock. Uh, once I was done with the course, though, I, I didn't start up my own agency. I wouldn't work for the uh, stallion company while I was really able to uh, cut my teeth and really learn more about the business. When you say learn about the business, because that's it's a broad term. So you, you you go from Darley, you end up at the you know with Jamie LaMonica at the Stallion Company. What what exactly are you doing there, Greg? And what did you take away from that that gave you the confidence to go out on your own? Well, when I first started with Jamie, I had absolutely a zero client base. You know, as an agent, if you don't have any clients, I mean, you can't be business, you can't make any money. Uh, I mean, that's just point blank. Sure, but. Uh, you know, I was able to build up my uh, clientele base. Uh, being a bloodstock agent is a business, so you have to learn how to manage clients, how to see value in deals, horses, things of that nature. Uh, learned about, you know, syndicating stallions. At that time, Jamie was really heavily involved in, in syndicating a lot of stallions and just, you know, being in a, being in a uh, environment and in an office where there was all types of trades going on, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really a great opportunity. And while in that uh the company, I was able to uh, start my relationship with the Yoshida family. I've uh, been very mm. fortunate to buy a lot of high-end mares, uh, you know, throughout the years. Grade one winning mares and sending those horses over to Japan. But, you know, that's where that relationship was formed was uh, my first year with that Stallion Company with those guys. So. Mm. That's amazing. They're so great. I love them, by the way. Yes, yes. Very, very, very awesome people. So, so Greg, you've now moved into, like you say, top-class broodmares is kind of your your path so can you just kind of tell us what you do on a day in day out basis and then i want to move into you as an owner because i know you owned a part of a horse that ran in the derby last year yeah so day-to-day basis you know i'm constantly looking for racing prospects or potential broodmare uh, prospects for japan uh, uh, constantly uh scouting uh the races to see if there's uh you know something that had back form uh you know grade two grade one caliber winning Philly mm-hmm. Bear that's maybe not doing so well that may be a potential private sale. Uh, the majority of my transactions are private, uh, so I try to get these horses a lot of times before they're committed to the sales. Uh, and, and, and now we've started a, a, a racing syndicate, so you know we're, we're more of a claiming based uh, <laughs> a syndicate. So just you know, constantly going over the overnights and then pulling the forms and looking at the form, looking at video, and trying mm-hmm. to find the uh, next potential horse for the uh, syndicate. What's the difference when you're looking at horses uh, for breeding purposes between a horse that is going to be bred here in the U.S. and the type that are being sent to Japan? Besides the fact that I feel like the, a lot of the Japanese interests have a lot more money than we do. <laughs> <Michelle>. <laughs> Greg, if you haven't met Michelle, uh, she tells it exactly how it is. 
So, you know, uh, typically in Japan, uh, they like a horse that's a lot different than the American-built horse. Uh, the Yoshida's mm-hmm. are pretty open where, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take whatever makes sense on, on, on paper as well as value. But typically in Japan, uh, they like a small, more European-style horse. Uh, they, they, they like horses. Uh, you know, the, the conditions over there would be more firm ground for the turf. So mm-hmm. horses uh, that have shown affinity to, you know, like, like fast ground on the turf and more smaller, compact horses than what you would typically see uh, in, in an American uh, build horse. That was a great. That, that was a great question, it, yeah. Michelle. Did you well, did you pre- you. did you prep Good that? Answer. Like, did you have that? No, I before? I just want to know. I that's didn't... like such a. I don't think we've ever had anyone on the show that that's their niche is is, is selling horses specifically for overseas, right? Well, we have a yeah, lot of people that come on that buy overseas and bring here. Well, and what's interesting is, and Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, because I think I've had a, a at least two mares that have been purchased by uh japanese um at the sales interest yeah interest at the sales so are you actually do you actually shop the sales as well or you just try to get that horse privately before they go to the sale i think you might have said before. I, 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 tr- I, tr- I try to get the horse privately because right. usually when they come to the sale they, they'll, they'll send their own representatives from japan over there, there. so a, a lot yeah. of times i'm hustling behind the scenes I okay i think i've called you a few times billy trying to you yeah, have. Just, was, uh, please tell uh, me I was I was respectful, <laughs> and please just tell me I was, no, no, I was no, nice. No, no, was And William, it's you. Of it's course, you weren't nice. William. You're probably a dick. <laughs> there we go. And and hence, this is why people listen to this podcast just to hear what Michelle is going to say today. Greg, I want to let's move let's move forward. So um, you did mention that you are moving into some claiming syndicates now, and is that just to have some racing fun or? What got you into ownership yourself? Well, I've always owned, you know, horses here and there with, you know, certain individuals. But when we started the uh, uh, partnership, Living the Dream Racing Syndicates, you know, that aim when we started that was to try to bring more minorities into racing and ownership. Uh, okay. That was something when I went to the different racetracks and stuff, I didn't see a lot of representation or participation from minority, you know, owners. So after speaking with several individuals, uh, you know, that's something we wanted to start and, uh, you know, try to make an effort and, and, and bring in more people, specifically of color, into the business. And from there, a couple of guys uh, wanted to do something more than just a syndicate, get get a bigger uh, piece into horses. And, uh, you know, they said, but I'd be interested in going along with them. So that that's sort of how I got more geared up and was lucky enough to partner with a guy, Ray Daniels, on a horse named uh, Necker Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, that ran in the uh, 2020 Kentucky Derby and took us on a uh, a great ride and is still taking us on uh, the adventure. He just recently won allowance race. He won the, at, uh, yeah, won the other day. So we were really excited about that and really excited uh, to see what he can do for the uh, uh, rest of the year. But that's sort of what got me geared back into uh, actual racehorse ownership, probably on a lot more broodmares than I should as opposed mm-hmm. to race <laughs> that, yeah, that, that uh, problem we all should have right you know Greg, <laughs> interesting that you brought this up and you said you know uh, trying to get minorities into um, into horse racing I think it's a great point and I, I've said this over and over again how do we do it how do we become better at it how do we uh, align ourselves and, and, and get, because I feel like, I mean, you look around, you go to Keeneland on a, on a Thursday and I know you've been there many, many times. Listen, it's predominantly white and it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, what do we do? 
Because I'm with you. I think there's a, a completely untapped market to get out there and, and get minority interests into this uh, into this uh, sport that we all love. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we all love it. And I think there's a great opportunity to fill a lot of voids uh, that, that racing desperately uh, needs. Racing needs people, not only minorities, but just people as a whole. And I think that definitely fills that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, the conversations that we're having, the conversations that have begun to have uh, with the uh, diversity and inclusion uh, op-eds to the TDN, a lot of these tracks are looking at it. But I think it, it, it starts with the education component, and then I think you have to take it over into marketing. Uh, we, and, and then from their representation, you look a lot of mainstream sports uh, such as NASCAR, hockey, uh, tennis, and golf. That was not predominantly uh, sports for minorities. Uh, geared up to but a lot of those uh, mm-hmm. mainstream sports came up with marketing campaigns uh really targeted aggressively uh to the minority communities and started becoming fans of of, of those mainstream sports and from fans uh part- participants and when you look at participation at the highest la- level representation does matter i mean tiger woods all the people that have come on him into golf and you look at the uh, williams sisters and uh Tennis, and now you see second-generation African-Americans as, as far as that mainstream starting to follow that and just overall fan base. When you look at NASCAR, what Bubba Wallace has done and how a lot of minorities are geared towards that, I, I think the industry just has to, from an educational standpoint, a lot of minorities are not familiar with racing. So an education component and and, and then a full-steam uh, marketing campaign. You know, a lot of the stuff that's market doesn't necessarily reflect uh, minority participation when you see a lot of marketing is put out from the industry uh, as it stands now. Uh, that was probably one of the best answers we've ever had on the show, Greg. And no, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, no, I'm, I'm being really serious about this. I want to help. I want to pledge my time and listen, not just, this is not just uh, for the diversity factor. I mean, selfishly on my part, I want new owners in the game and I don't care if they're what color they are, but there is a, a, a market here for it, and I think you're exactly right how you said the marketing um, to the and, and the education. So, Greg, I'm going to be in Kentucky next week. I'd love to hook up with you. I'm serious about this. I think it's a great idea, and I think it can go places, and I think we need to do it. Love, love to meet up with you as always. Though. All right, my man. Um, Michelle, are you good? No, uh, I'm, I'm actually fascinated right now. I know. I can tell you're a little bit thrown. <laughs> but- I'm, I'm like you have like you can see my page of I was, notes I was that I'm writing ask, down. I, I know you want to ask what kind of rooter he is because you love hearing how people root for their horses. Well, Are you I, a snapper, I yeller? The, I want to know about the experience of him, of of him, of Greg. Greg, of you of having a horse run in the derby. I mean, you found this colt. Tell us kind of how you got it all put together and what was the experience like for you to get to go to the Kentucky Derby as an owner. Oh man, it was it was it was awesome. You know, I, I worked in the business, but first and foremost, I'm 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 a fan. And uh, as, as I had mentioned, my grandfather had a horse that participated in the 1962 Kentucky Derby. Right. So it always set a goal to say, you know, I wanted to be a participant. Never really thinking that it would happen. But uh, we we sort of came into the Kentucky neighbor uh, radar on the untraditional pathway where we actually claimed Necker Island. Uh, he was in the high end claiming race for a hundred thousand okay. dollars. Uh, that's, that's a, a lot number. of that's money a big to number. spend on a claiming horse. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. when you claimed him, were you thinking, but we're going to run him in the Derby? 
you know, I thought he was a horse with potential. When you looked at his two-year-old form, he was one of the more talked-about horses. Uh, he had been running in stakes races and, uh, you know, sort of running mid-pack. So we knew he had some ability. Uh, you know, I think the world was Stanley Huff. He, he was a trainer at the time. But sometimes a new set of eyes is, is always good on a horse, and we just figured if we could – find something out that we could possibly tweak, perhaps we could get this horse turned around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we, we thought we would, we would attempt it once, and if it didn't work out, we, we, we would still have a nice horse nonetheless. But uh, we claimed him uh, out of a $100,000 race. I think it was a four- or five-horse field, and he, he, he finished last. And I remember Ray looked at me and said, what the hell did we just do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, oh, so, so there was no shake? 25000 and he runs last. I'm sick. I could not imagine doing with a $100,000 claim and being like, oh, shit. What did we do? So when, you look at, when you looked at that field, uh, our collector actually won the race. I think he set the track mm-hmm. record in that race. There was two or three other horses that came out there and ended up winning stakes races the next race. It was a loaded, loaded field. But uh, we ended up running him in the Indiana Derby. Uh, horse went to his knees, missed a break, made several moves, and sort of just ran out of steam but still ended up finishing third. So that started just getting us thinking. And uh, we ended up running him in the Ellis Park Derby, finishing with some more points. And it was a non-traditional derby because of COVID. It was much later in the season, which mm-hmm. worked out to our benefit is he was able to pick up some points, several of the horses, uh, right. Dropped out of the race. Uh, you know, it was, it was a different experience than Derby as usual because it was, I think about 2,500 people in attendance. <laughs> so you got to really enjoy it. It was a lot different, but once we did the walkover, you know, everybody was excited. Everybody was nervous and, you know, we was like, wow, this is really happening. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to participate in the Kentucky Derby. So it's definitely one of the, biggest highlights of, of, of my career, of my life uh, up to this point. So very surreal moment and wish more people could, could experience that. We're going to work on mm, that. So cool. Greg, uh, before we let you go, one piece of advice for a new owner that's out there, and this could be your marketing pitch to, to someone who might listen to the show. And what's the one kind of, kind of thing you, the one piece of advice you'd give them before jumping into uh, horse racing ownership? I would just say take your time, uh, set a budget, stick to the budget, take your time, and, and just really research and develop a relationship whoever you're going to do business with. Uh, this game, when it's good, it's, it's really good. But, I mean, this is the only business where if a trainer's hitting at 24%, uh, he's knocking out of the park. Most places you're fired if you're hitting at 24%. <laughs> so I just think it's good to develop a, a, a relationship with your trainer, your blood stock agent, because you're going to spend a lot of time with those people. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, high moments, but there's also going to be some down moments. So just, you know, feel comfortable with who you're di- doing business with and just, you know, take take your time getting into this. I saw so many people get into this business, they rush into it, and then a year or two years, they're out. And I think the people mm-hmm. that, that, that stay the course are the people that do the due do diligence and uh, take the time and, and form lifelong lasting relationships within the business. So. I think that's great advice. Well and, answered, uh, like usual. Yes, well, well versed. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? I want Greg to be like my advisor. I'm yeah. thinking. What's <laughs> happening here? Went to uh, locally Dunbar High School, then went to a small school in North Carolina, Central Carolina. So. Oh, that's. I mean, obviously, they, they did very well with you, Greg. Greg Harbit joining us on the owner's box buddy thank you very much we really really appreciate it i'm definitely going to uh, try to hook up with you next week when i get to uh to kentucky and continued success 
um, with, with whether it's owning bloodstock, whatever you're going to be. I, I, I can tell by talking to you that you've already reached uh, a, a level of success that most haven't. And, and I think the way you speak and the way you're so well-versed uh, will come with more success in the future. Unless you Thank can you hang get- out with JK. I mean, that's just a losing yeah. battle. Yeah, maybe lose JK. Like, he brings you down. <laughs> I mean, seriously. We're going to have to talk uh, to him. I'll, 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 awesome guy. Man. Thank you guys for the opportunity. And, Billy, look forward to connecting with you uh, next week. You got it. Thank you very much. Greg Harbert. 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 We got that right. Harbert on the owner's box. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. That was great. That was great. Well, um, Bro, really a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Really a lot of fun. And uh, and you know what? Um, that's the kind of guest we want to have on our show, Michelle. You know what I mean? Yep. Agreed. Um, we'll we'll keep we'll keep looking for people like Greg Harbett. Uh, you could we didn't even pitch his like website. We should do that. It's Harbett Bloodstock dot com. H a r b u t. H a r b u t Bloodstock dot com. Um, and I'm sure he's on. Twitter we might not somewhere. have enough money for to for him to buy us something though. We could. He he deals with upper echelon Japanese interests. I don't know if I have enough money for. I, I definitely don't. You might. I don't have enough. You money are. For you, you know what? You're rich in love, Michelle. You know. Yes. Well, too bad love doesn't pay the bills. I've tried that before. I've gotten trouble. <laughs> I hear mom in the background. That means it's time to go. Nothing Thank you so much apple. for listening today. At BKLRF, at the Michelle you at own a horse. If you want to follow the show's Twitter, and that's where we put the shows out. Um, sorry, we're a little late. Sorry, we missed last week. Uh, if you have any questions about horses, horse ownership, our show, Billy at LittleRedFeather.com is my email. It's my personal email. I will respond to you. We appreciate you reaching out, telling us if the show is great, if the show sucks. Uh, we like that, too, just so we can get better. That's what we try to do, right, Michelle? Improve every That's week. That's exactly. All right. And just want to chuck it out there, Billy. Yeah. Uh, Greg's uh, Twitter is at Harbut, H-A-R-B-U-T, Bloodstock, B-L-D, Stock. Okay. Got that. And we'll okay. put it on our tweet when we put it out tomorrow. Super. Michelle, you're the best. Thanks so much. Hey, it's closing weekend at Santa Anita this weekend. Everyone should come out if you can be around. We've got 11 races carded for Friday. We've got 11 on tap for Saturday. Of course, it's last day, so we're going to have mandatory payouts on Sunday. And we've got a whole bevy of stakes races coming at you. Go see Michelle out at Santa Anita, please. And I will be there all weekend as well. So come say hello. Talk to you guys soon. Yay. Thanks, Michelle. Bye. Welcome to the Owner's Box. Now, here's Billy Koch and Michelle Yu.